comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. The world we know is gone. No Facebook, no Twitter, no smartphones, no podcasts. In a world ruled by the dead, we are finally forced to start living. Nancy Brad with me. I've got Jim Jordan and Russ and John. How you guys doing tonight? Great. Fantastic. Surviving. I haven't been eaten by the walkers yet, so I'm good. That's good. Anybody done any swimming lately? Ooh. I had this dream. I was in this tunnel and somebody was dangling a ham in my face. <laughs> but I wasn't interested in the ham at all. I had the I same what it means. dream. Only somebody was dangling a Chinaman in my face. <laughs> is that uh, is that politically correct, Chinaman? Um, I think, I think he's Korean. Yeah, the Korean. Asian. I'm sorry, the Asian. John, Whatever. you a sensitive bastard. I'm glad we're all here. We got a full house tonight. Jordan, are you there? I am here. Okay, good. I, I just had nothing racist to add. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Jordan, every once in a while, you're worth keeping around. That's awesome. Yeah, I try to spread them out, keep the bar low. What do we got on tap for tonight, Johnny? We have a ton of politically incorrect comments to make. First, we have a sponsor that we need to get to, don't we, Russell? We do. Our sponsor for this episode of the Walking Dead TV podcast is Discount Comic Book Service. That's DCBService.com. And the November specials are up at dcbservice.com. And this month, a few of them that we'd like to highlight are, the big one is the DC Celebration Continues. So the new 52, the DC new 52 has been out. Uh, the number five issue issues are solicited. And uh, the, the DCBS train is still rolling with 50% off of if you buy all of the 52 issues in one big bundle. Um, and they do still have limited quantities of the number twos and three bundles. So if you if you move quick, you might be able to take advantage of that also. Um, the other big special this month is the Marvel trade paperbacks and hardcovers are an extra 5% off this month. So their discount is 45% off on all the trades and hardcovers for Marvel, which is uh, a pretty good deal. Um, now, Russ, if I was a listener to this show, and I was a first-time customer going to DCBService.com, and I wanted to save, say, I don't know, another 8% on that. How would I do that, Russ? You would use the code WD8. If it's your first order through DCBS, you'll save 8%. Or if you haven't ordered from them in, in at least one year, you could use the WD8 code and save 8%. Um, some of the other things, Walking Dead specific, since this is the Walking Dead TV podcast, the Walking Dead Compendium Volume 1 has been resolicited with a new printing. And this is a book you would definitely want 
if the zombie apocalypse breaks out because you could whack a zombie in the head with this and um, take it out completely because it's fifty nine ninety nine regular price, forty percent off at DCBS, so it's thirty five ninety nine for the first forty eight issues of The Walking Dead. Uh, John and I both have this book. Um, as do I. And as did as did Jim, and um, it's it's awesome. Just to, what was to the be price to... you just said? The the DCBS discounted price is forty percent off, so it's thirty five ninety nine for forty eight issues. That's less than a dollar an I'm issue. I'm doing the math right now. Thirty five ninety nine divided by forty. Carry the eight. one. I wish I wish I'd paid that little for it when I got it. Seventy five cents an issue. Unheard of. Um, so, like I said, we definitely recommend that. Um, to to be able to have this in all one volume is just pretty incredible. Um, and the Walking Dead regular monthly series is up to issue 93 this month. So definitely take advantage of DCBS's sponsorship, and we thank them greatly. Very well. And if you if you take uh, part in that DC 50% off special, you can use uh, OMAC and Action Comics to launch your birdcage, or perhaps... Or, de- or you can use Deathstroke to line your birdcage. Ooh. That's... You're the only person I've heard say that about Action Comics. I didn't, I didn't read it. I didn't read it. I, it's it's comedy. Anyway, I, I with air quotes, comedy. John is speaking for me. Hey, comedy is not pretty. Well, before we get on with Cherokee Rose, we have to tie up some loose uh, bloodletting ends. And Brad, I'm going to put you on the spot first because you are in charge of the emails for bloodletting that we received. Go. Uh, we've got three emails. Uh, one about bloodletting. It's from. Thomas Earl, hello, love the podcast. As I was listening to episode 42, a question entered my mind as some of you expressed greater interest in the stories revolving around Shane over Rick. Could it be as readers of the comic books that with Shane's brief role there that to see him fleshed out on the small screen gives the book crowd, gives the book crowd fresh viewpoint? Rick is a well-known personality and maybe less interesting to retread. Just a thought. Keep up the great work. Thomas, I think you hit the nail on the head. Uh, as I said last time, Shane has, uh, and Russell too, Shane has quickly become a favorite character of ours. And he is, at this point, he is more interesting to me than Rick. Uh, Rick is a known quantity for book readers. Shane is not. So I think you hit the nail on the head with that. I think I, I totally agree. And I also think it has something to do with what they're having Rick do these days, which we talked a little bit about last show for for the last two shows he's kind of been sitting at Carl's bedside and we can definitely understand why but it's been a lot less interesting than what's been going on with Shane and he he really has been a little bit of a different type of Rick than we saw in the in the first several issues of the book because of the whole Carl thing this is a totally different Shane from the book too I think uh, I mean, Berenthal's really bringing the acting, uh, special. I wasn't here for the last, uh, for the bloodletting episode, uh, commentary with you guys, but, uh, I, I just wanted to say I really, uh, really like that kind of pseudo taxi driver scene, you know, where Shane, I mean, when everything that happened in the last episode where, you know, his character's kind of really turned a corner that the character really didn't in the book. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Great. So thank you, Thomas, for that email. Uh, Brad. Do you have another one that concerns anything previous to Cherokee Rose before I hit the voicemails? I have one about Save the Last One. That works. Uh, This is from Claudia Gregory. 
or Claudia Gregory. Depends on, I guess, how you feel. Hello, all. I just listened to your podcast. See, that was some of that dry humor that we learned about a few uh, episodes ago. Hello, all. I just listened to your podcast, and I enjoyed it immensely. I missed listening to Jim's voice, though. It is awesome. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> I want to comment on the scene where Carl has a seizure. It was way over the top. Children do not move like this when they are having convulsions. I know what I'm talking about, as my eight-year-old son has had four convulsions. It's very scary, but you have to keep calm and put him on recovery position until help arrives. So I wasn't very impressed with that scene. In regards with Shane, I wonder if the writers are preparing him for a doomed ending. He used to be my favorite character, but now I'm not so sure I want him in the next season. Maybe the writers want the viewers to feel that way about Shane. I keep thinking about that. I was very disturbed by his actions. Love your podcast. Keep doing it, Claudia. Um, they were very disturbing actions, Claudia. I mean, <laughs> you know, from one viewpoint, I can see how that would be incredibly scary to see. But then on the other hand, you know, it was either Otis or him. And what are you going to do? You know, it's either me or that guy. Yeah, I would, um, I think coming up with that way out is kind of what shocked me. If I had come up with it, I definitely would have done the same thing. Uh, I think anybody, it, anybody would. I don't know. Is that crazy? I. Uh, it's hard to say, man, because, you know, we're not, we're not in this situation. I mean, I've, as, I've often said I would do whatever it took to, to protect my children. And maybe Shane was thinking about it that way. You know, it, there was two people's lives at risk, Carl's and Shane's. So, I don't know, he had a lot to think about, I guess. Again, I really think that the, the Shane in the show is, is really diverging from the Shane in the book. And um, I really, especially with the end of this episode we're going to talk about now, uh, Cherokee Rose uh, setting up this whole other uh, subplot that could involve Shane. You know, the very end of the episode, but we'll get to that as we get to it. Yes. So thank you, Claudia, for that. Uh, I'm going to hit some voicemails quickly so we can get on with things. Hey, this is Terry calling from Michigan. I uh, wanted to give my feedback on the latest episode of The Walking Dead. So I must say it was uh, it was pretty good. I think it's been the best, uh, best episode of the series so far, I think. Uh, I really like what they've done with Shane. I'm really glad that uh, he's still included. And I think he felt what he was doing was the right thing to do to save Carl and himself. But I really think, you know, it's going to it's gonna kind of haunt him and drive him nuts because he knows it's also the wrong thing to do. <laughs> so it's, I, I think it's just going to really start to make him unhinged and become unglued and all that good stuff. And... He's just going to lose it. It's just going to drive him nuts, you know, having to kill that innocent man like that, that, you know, was even willing to help him, you know. So I uh, look forward to everyone's thoughts. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. I, I think there's some, you know, truth to that. As it turns out, you know, we get right in the beginning of this episode, which we're going to talk about soon, that he's kind of having flashbacks and, and freaking out a bit already. So I think that might be the road that uh, Shane could be taken down, definitely. Yeah, no question. No question at all. And I think it's going to be interesting to see as the season progresses his uh, transformation. I think he's just going to slightly 
you know, get more and more and more unhinged. So I think we might be in for a pretty good treat as a season finale with, uh, with Shane's character. Something just tells me that. Okay, here's one more voicemail for Bloodletting. Hi, guys. This is the man, the myth, the legend, Ken C. Hayes of the Nerd Herd Podcast. Just listened to your last show about the, what Shane did and how he treated Otis and all that kind of fun stuff. And, uh, and I think Shane is a tool and Otis is a victim. And uh, I think y'all were wrong about him being uh, the great, great guy or whatever y'all, wherever y'all were going with that, I think uh, Shane should die the way he did originally, quickly and quietly and be done with it. But uh, good show. Love to listen. Keep it up. Love you. Bye. Okay, he said he feels Shane is the tool and Otis was the victim. Um, I would agree Otis was a victim, but I don't recall any of us saying that Shane was a really good guy and we liked him. And No, we do like him, but I don't we think like we... his character, but right. I don't like him as a human being. Exactly. If Shane died a quick death, as was suggested, the show would be a lot less interesting right now. Now, they might, you know, develop these other characters better in the next few shows, and, and that might change our opinions a little bit. But as of right now, I think we agree that Shane's probably the most interesting character. Yeah, yeah him or Daryl. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't advocating, and, and Ken, sorry if it came across that way, I wasn't advocating at all that he's a good person or that he's he did a good thing at all. I think the fact that he's making some interesting choices and now going to, as we're seeing, he's being tortured by it, um, as, as well as the uh, questionable choices he's made in the past are what's making him more and more interesting. And I think I think it adds to the show to have a character with that dynamic and that everybody's not just black or white. You know, if, if they're bad, they're gone. If they're good, they stay. I think it's interesting to have characters that have questionable motives and questionable uh, character to, to still stick around in the show moving forward. Plus, he's an awesome foil for uh, for Rick's character, you know. Rick trying to be the you know the the father and the, and the leader and everything else and Shane is almost becoming like the darker half of of Rick, you know what I mean what Rick would be if he wasn't tied down with all these responsibilities and the the the, the you know the feelings that he has uh, to try to keep everything together, you know to to provide for everyone and provide for his family. Um, they you know they work the characters work off each other very well as they've been set up in the TV show. I mean it's it's a classic alpha male struggle. And, 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 you know, even over one woman. So that's just interesting. Yeah. You know, they're going to have varying opinions of what the plan should be, who's going to follow Rick and who's going to follow Shane. And well, think about it from the perspective of everyone else outside of really outside of Lori and, and Shane himself, because nobody knows what really happened to Otis now except for Shane. So in the eyes of everyone else, Shane is the hero. He went off. He made the sacrifice. He got what was needed, and he came back. From Lori's perspective, he's kind of a dirtbag, but nobody else knows that he's a dirtbag. I think I think um, um, I think Dale. Gale has some idea, but he doesn't really know. So I could easily see where the rest of them are seeing Shane as the stronger leader type, um, making good hard decisions and kind of manning up, whereas maybe they see Rick is not really stepping up to the plate like. Um, like we've seen him do in the comic, which, again, I think I think it'll be really interesting to see how that power struggle plays out. Definitely. Uh, one last thing before we move on to Jordan's recap of Cherokee Rose. Jim, I believe we have a new iTunes review. 
we do. And if you would like to leave an iTunes review, we would very much appreciate it because we always love to get feedback and reviews. And uh, the little pimpage on the iTunes page doesn't hurt either. Our latest uh, review is from Soapbox Hero 81. HHWLOD equals greatness. Five stars. This is the best podcast to get all the latest news on The Walking Dead. This group of guys really knows everything there is to know about the show and comic, but they don't ruin anything at all about upcoming plot points. Try this podcast. You'll like it. Thank you so much, Soapbox081. We appreciate that. Yeah, for sure. Keep those uh, reviews coming. They help us a lot, and we appreciate them. So, Jordan, uh, at long last, I hand it over to you for Cherokee Rose. Alrighty, and before we get into the actual recap, we should mention that the series has been officially picked up for season three. We had heard a lot of rumors in the off season, and uh, right up until they finally did announce it. But after episode two, they definitely renewed it for season three for another thirteen episodes, and I can't wait. But before that, we have seven more episodes of the season we should get through. So again, we're going to be working with Sarah Simmons' recap from Picktainment.com, P-I-C-K-Tainment.com where she recapped Cherokee Rose. So thank you, Sarah. So the episode opens with a funeral for Otis. Uh, they, I don't think they actually have his body, but they have a large pile of rocks to kind of symbolize his grave, and they're taking turns putting rocks on the grave and taking turns speaking. When first, uh, I believe, first Herschel, but then Patricia asked uh, Shane to kind of give his two cents and eulogize Otis, which he does not want to do, and we're quickly hit with several flashbacks of what Shane did last episode, and I believe those flashbacks led to someone winning a prize. John, why don't you tell us about that? Yes, we ran a Facebook group prize this time, so you had to be in the Facebook group to be a part of this contest. I had everyone take a guess at who would be the first character to fire a weapon, Uh, and I specifically stated that flashbacks even counted, and I'm glad I did because the only weapon fired in this episode uh, was in a flashback, and the first one we get is Shane uh, shooting at Otis, and Mary was the first person in the Facebook group to guess Shane, so she's going to win the Biter Zombie action figure, which you cannot get until Christmas time if you are in the general public. So congrats to Mary. I do just want to mention that there were a lot of funny jokes stating that the weapon fired in the episode was by Glenn. Uh, please continue, Jordan. So interspersed with the flashbacks of him shooting and killing Otis, or no, I guess he didn't kill Otis, but d- disabling Otis so that Otis would be eaten by the zombies, he kind of has to finally come around and say a few words about Otis. It's very heartfelt, saying how Otis gave his life, but of course we all know that he's leaving out the important detail of not willingly. And he's wearing Otis's clothes, so he looks goofy. Well, I kind of like the way they did the quick cut of the flashback as well. It kind of shows that Shane probably has some like PTSD from, from uh, having done that to Otis. It's, it's definitely weighing on him, you know, as we see uh, you know, throughout this episode. Now, in this scene, as he, as he walks up to the uh, grave and, and puts the rock on or whatever, we definitely get a sense that he's limping badly still, if I remember correctly. Yes. Okay, because I think later on he's not limping. Or maybe it's in the well scene that he seems to be healthy at that point. But um, it just a little very inconsistent throughout the whole. Yeah, episode. a little continuity uh, problems, but uh, just something to point out. Nothing to dwell on. His hair seemed like it was long enough to be like maybe three or four days worth of 
growth on it from what we saw in the previous episode. But maybe you know, you know what I I I thought that very same thing, dude. When yeah. I first when he first showed up, I thought, wow, his hair looks a lot longer than it did, you know, last time we saw it. That said, it wouldn't fit the timeline for it to have been several days. So no. again, just continuity. Yeah, yeah. But they're interrupted, giving the eulogy and 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 sending off Otis by the approach of the chopper and Dale's RV as the group is finally reunited at the farmhouse. Yeah, that was pretty cool. We'd seen that shot of uh, Norman Reedus, uh, Daryl, rolling up in front of the RV in, in a lot of the previews and stuff. It was good to see that scene. So then we go inside the house where Herschel is giving Carl a checkup, and he says, hey, the fever's finally gone down. And at this point, Carl wakes up and asks about Sophia, but Rick lies and says she's fine. Meanwhile, T-Dog comes in. He tells Rick and Lori that the rest of the group is there, so they, they go out to say hi. They tell Dale that Carl is okay, thanks to Herschel, his people, and Shane. Just going back to the to the bit about uh, Sophia, did anybody think it was a little weird that he goes out of his way to say she's fine and then basically has to come back later and say he lied? It just, like, it didn't seem like there's any purpose to that. It just, I, I don't know, it just seemed... No, I totally bought it. I thought I, I might have done the same thing. You, you, your son, you know, is just waking up out of a coma, basically. The last thing you want to do is give him something else to freak out about. Well, I, I agree. I think I'm right there with you, Brad, but I don't know that I'd feel bad about lying there. You know, that doesn't seem like I, I get what John's saying. Like, yes, it's the normal thing you would say, but why in the world would you have it weighing on your conscience that you lied to your son who just came out of a coma about something, I don't want to say insignificant, but something not relevant to his recovery? And that's well, not even the part part that bothered me part that was just the, the quick reversal it just seemed i don't know it just seemed strange it's like if you're if, if you're doing it to shield them and then on and then quickly thereafter you go back on it i don't know it just seemed kind of silly i don't know why it bothered me it just did i just wanted to say that uh while we mentioned t-dog quickly that irony singleton tried to pull a fast one on everybody on twitter and basically yeah. say that he wasn't happy about what happened to his character, but it was a nice run while it lasted, like something to that effect. Not cool, Irony. Yeah, and everybody was all up and on. How does he spoil that? I can't believe T-Dog's dead. So it was all a big joke. Ha ha. We like Irony. He's really cool. So after they've all had the funeral and met up and all that kind of stuff, Herschel has a map. He pulls out a map of the area so they can look for Sophia. Um, he says Rick and Shane can't go on the search yet because, well, Rick just gave three units of blood. And as we saw last episode, that took a lot out of him, although he's definitely recovered by this episode. And Shane's leg is hurt, as we mentioned. I, I'd like to mention really quick that I kinda, I'm kind of getting Sophia fatigue with this uh, this plot line. It, it seems like they've drawn it out uh, maybe two episodes longer than they should have. In I'm, right with anyway. you. I'm right with you there, Jim. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm done with the Sophia story. The toe. I think there's a lot of pacing issues um, with things being too quick and other things taking too long. Exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking today. I was kind of going through my head, just getting ready for the show and stuff. And, and that's that's the exact thing I came up with as I was driving. I won't uh, talk about there's a few things coming up that I think were too quick. So I'll, I'll wait for those. But the Sophia thing's definitely one of those that is too long. Um, the payoff better be good is all I'm saying. You know, we've been saying it for a few shows. She can't just show up in the woods now. You know, she has to be yeah. somewhere. And Jordan, there, there, don't there we... has to be some drama to it. Yes. And Jordan, don't we have a contest regarding the whereabouts of young Sophia? 
We certainly do. If you have a guess as to where Sophia is, one per person, please, you can either email us at comments at walkingdeadtv.com or leave us a voicemail. The number will be at the end of the show and tell us where you think Sophia is. Please be specific, not just, you know, she's out in the woods because, well, obviously she's somewhere out in the woods. She ran into the Blair Witch kids. She's hanging out with them. <laughs> and if you're correct, if you are one of the people who's correct anyway, we'll pull a random one out of the hat of the correct answers. You could win a sign volume one or volume two of the Walking Dead trade paperback signed by Robert Kirkman, the creator of The Walking Dead, and Chris Hardwick, host of Talking Dead on AMC. So get those in and we'll bring it up again at the end of the episode when we give out the contact information. We're just giving out crazy stuff all the time. We're just giving crap away. Sweet prizes. So after Herschel gives them the map and he tells them they can't go out searching just yet because of their injuries, he also says they're free to stay there for the time being while they're looking for Sophia and while Carl is while Carl is uh, healing. But he doesn't really want all the guns on the property. He's just not uh, he's just not comfortable with it. So Rick agrees. Shane's against him. I looked at a um, a comparison to the comic. Um in this scene and it's interesting that they just decided to make him so hardcore about the guns um in the books they have this same conversation but it's really more about like just moving along after carl recovers uh he doesn't really touch up on the guns too much i actually think that he takes some extra guns from rick as kind yeah, of like a present. Rick offers him some he goes why don't you take some of our guns and he goes yeah sure whatever he doesn't make a big deal out of them it's just funny how they decide, like, what would work better on TV or what they're trying to get across. Well, that same conversation kind of happens later between Rick and Herschel. You know, Herschel's like, look, you know, after Carl's found, you know, girl's found and Carl's healed, you need to be moving along, you know. Right. I actually think him being anti-gun kind of works for the character. I, I won't say anything more from that because it would involve comic book information. But for those of us who have read the comics, I think it works for the character. Yeah, I didn't have a problem with it at all. It's just one little, like, sometimes I wonder, like, why did they have to change that? You know, and you just think about how things work better on TV or better in print or, or whatever. Right. So Maggie's asking if the group has any more antibiotics than T-Dog brought when, when he went to have his arm fixed up. And Andrea says no. So Maggie says she's going to go into town to get some more provisions at the pharmacy. And Rick tells her that Glenn is their go-to-town guy and that he should go with him. And he, he's good at getting in and out. <laughs> uh, yes. I'm just repeating what they said. Um, I caught <clears throat> Lauren Cohan's British accent this episode. See, I didn't notice it this episode, but I, I granted I wasn't really listening to it this time. I didn't hear it at all. Watch it again. <laughs> I think you're. I think. Did you hear it, Russell? Um, I didn't really notice it either, but I wasn't really listening for it. Um, did she have a British accent in that? New York Comic Con footage? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't remember that. I think funny, John's she, just listening too hard. She was, too born, hard. she was born in the States and then moved to Britain as a young child, I guess. And right. then I think it's been kind of split time. As so. opposed to an old child. As a, yes, exactly. It, it wasn't a ben, Benjamin Button situation. It, no, it was not. You are correct. <laughs> I do not want to see... Well, actually, I kind of do want to see a Photoshop version of her as Benjamin Button, but just because I'm weird. Anyway, so Shane and Lori have a moment together, and he asks her, you know, did you mean it last episode when you said you wanted me to stay? And she says yes. And then he looks at her creepily. This so made... I never did 
I was going to ask you guys about this last time. Why do you? What do you think is Lori's motivation for him staying? You just think he saved her kid. I got to tell you guys something, and I, I apparently I was just off. I took that scene last show totally at face value. Stay in the room with Carl. You don't have to leave because I'm here. And I guess that it really meant stay here and don't leave the group like you said you were going to. Of course that's what it meant. I did not remember that because that happened two shows ago, I guess, or whatever. When she was like, I thought he was like, he looked in the room and then he was like, oh, I can't be here with Carl because Lori's in here right now. And she was like, stay. Yeah, I, I had misunderstood it the same way, but it definitely made more sense when it was in context this episode. Yeah, I think it, it makes sense. I think given what he did to go that extra mile for for Carl, I think maybe she's like, okay, he had his moment of weirdness or whatever. He's been mostly stable from her perspective since then. He's done this thing. He's been through this trauma. Why do I need to add insult to injury? And she also might be thinking, you know, he's probably going to do a better job protecting all of us than Rick has done so far, especially with Carl being down and out and Rick losing all this blood. They can't afford for a big gun to be gone. I mean, Irony or uh, T-Dog has got his arm thing going on. Daryl, for the most part, is off looking for Sophia. So I think there might be multiple motivations going on with, with why she, she, could, she would say, she would ask him to stay. I'm thinking it's probably something as simple as, you know, the more the merrier, the more people we have, the better chance we have, that kind of thing. You don't think it has anything to do with her... Uh situation which we'll be yeah talking about. i was kind of thinking the same thing at the end of the episode let's I talk was, about no. that then no because she didn't know about that until well oh, no i think she had confirmation she suspected it she just didn't have that yeah she suspected it i'm pretty sure she knew i and to be honest with you i would think if if um if if shane was gone that situation becomes less problematic because Shane's exactly. not there. That's my point. So why why invite him to stay if she had any clue that that was happening? Uh, I don't know. Maybe because it's his. Yeah, and he saved her. He saved her other son. Well, yeah. that's a good reason to keep him around <laughs> because he saved her son. But if it's going to complicate things, if we all know what we're talking about, because she finds out at the end she's pregnant. If if this is Shane's kid, and asking Shane to stay around is going to end exacerbate the situation that just seems like a dumb reason to ask him to stay around well i think it's something it's something close to what john was saying is like she doesn't know you know which horse to bet on right now you got rick who's like you know three pints of blood down and and you know looking shakier every day and then you have shane you know she doesn't know i mean because of the timing i guess she wouldn't know for sure who the father was and she isn't she doesn't really i don't think she knows for sure which man to be with you know what i mean I, oh, I don't that, think that. I, I, I think, you know, deep down there, she might think it is Shane's child. I think she may think it's Shane's, but I don't, from my perspective, I don't think she's confused about who she wants to be with. But, I mean, that's that's just... Yeah, I don't, I don't think so either. I, I mean, I, I, think, I, I think it's I think a valid the only, argument to make the other case, but I just, that's just not what I, that's just not how I think. I think the only logical reason for her to say stay is because... She like loses the lobe. Yes. Shout out to Frank. Yes, I'm still jealous. Uh, is because we need, you know, you don't vote the the strong people off the island. 
you know, that's the mistake. You keep the, you keep the strong people. So that's got to be, to me, that's the only thing that makes sense. And maybe a little, yeah, you saved my kid, so we don't want to throw you out there to the wolves type of thing. Or the zombies. That's what I meant. Zombie wolves. So Dale comes up and asks Maggie, what's the water situation around here? She says they have five different wells on the farm. She also mentions that there's a generator out back answering two questions that a lot of people have been asking. A, where's the water coming from? And B, where is the electricity coming from? I missed that about the generator. She said that? It was a very offhand comment like one sentence after she talked about the water. Cool. Right. And then like 50 people on Twitter yelled generator at us. (laughs) Yeah. See, what did I say? That's what I've been saying the whole time. Rednecks and generators. Well, now it actually well, it's is. The, and generators. You, it just makes sense. Absolutely, but you can't. I was about to say, do you have a generator out where you live in the boonies? We have a portable generator, not a full-blown generator, but we do have a portable generator. There's a farm down the street from my parents' house that has a giant solar array. You know, it's just the kind of thing you have at a farm. There's a hotel up the road for me where we stay if the power goes out. <laughs> So Andrea and Shane go off and they're complaining about having to give up the guns. But Shane says, hey, we got to do what we got to do. And he offers to teach her how to clean her gun because she's been practicing and she's getting better. And so he kind of walks her through that. And I believe this is where they have the conversation about, you know, shooting at targets is different than shooting at real people. And you have to kind of get over that grief and you have to push through and let the adrenaline work for you and not against you. And at a certain point, she asks him, or, or he kind of volunteers the information of the hardest part is getting over the people you've killed, and he's not quite sure that he's been able to do that, but he thinks he's getting better, which there was two ways to take that. I mean, one, it's like, okay, yes, you do have to push through this, and it's good advice to give her. On the other hand, you just murdered a guy. This is not the kind of killing or shooting a person that we want you to get over. We want you to deal with it like you did at the beginning of the episode and have those flashbacks and feel the pain and not just become, you know, a psychopath. So, I mean, it was supposed to be kind of this heartfelt and daring scene, but there's a lot of subtext to it. Well, yeah, I mean, he's talking about what he just did to Otis and she thinks he's talking about what she did to her sister, you know, in uh, season one, you know, so they're talking across purposes about the same thing. I thought that was a pretty interesting, uh, interestingly written scene, like when they're kind of wandered off together to talk about that. Plus, she uh, talks about her uh, her relationship with Dale and Dale almost, you know, uh, allowing him to die, you know, himself to be killed. And uh, was it SR uh, fifty one, the last episode of the first season, uh, rather than <laughs> yeah, yes, her behind. <laughs> I'm sorry, SR fifty one. I'm sorry, man. I believe that's a fighter jet. Isn't that the Blackbird? That's the SR seventy one. I'm sorry. Blackbird. Anyway, anyway, Dale. You know, when Dale offered, Dale offered to stay behind with her and die with her. You know, I think they addressed that too in this scene. Right. But by the way, this conversation happens a little later in the in the show where where the two of them and um, Sophia's mom, Carol, uh, are off walking, searching. It's not. It's not on the farm. Oh, okay. Yes, Sarah. I think Sarah left that part out of her recap. That's why I was not hundred percent sure. But so Daryl goes out to search for Sophia on his own because Rick is several. Did that noise come across? Sorry. Yes. So Daryl is leaving to search for Sophia on his own because, of course, Rick is down several pints of blood and Shane has a messed up knee. So Rick kind of grabs him as he's leaving and says, hey, now that we're more organized, Daryl, you don't have to feel obligated to stay. But Daryl says, hey, my other plans fell through and he continues walking away. Yeah, this was kind of this one was a little weird for me because Daryl has been so. 
like into being part of the group in the in the last few episodes and and here he's real annoyed like now all of a sudden he's ticked again that they left Merle and you know did you guys get that a little bit like all of a sudden Daryl's ticked off again I thought it was weird but more weird that Rick was being like you can leave because he's been so helpful even though I guess Rick doesn't know that I I didn't get a sense of annoyance out of Daryl or anything other than Rick for saying we don't really need you anymore yeah that's what what I took away from it was that I, I thought it was very bizarre that as much as Daryl has been helping and, and you know being uh, you know part of the group that he, he would you know be like okay we're done with you bye if you want to take off go ahead I, I thought just, he was more annoyed at Rick than he was about you know about Merle or anything I think Rick was giving him an out because of what happened to his you know he still felt bad about what had happened to Daryl's brother you know that's why he said you don't owe us anything we you know because he's thinking we left Merle on building and he's gone and now he's missing a hand and if i was daryl i wouldn't want to be around these numb nuts either so i i kind of took that away from that conversation so herschel comes out of the house and he tells rick that once they find sophia you know you need to move on you can't stay at the farm meanwhile meanwhile Lori gives glenn a list of things they need from the pharmacy and then she gives him a separate note with an item that she asks him to be discreet about getting all right all right if she's saying you need to be discreet about this, obviously no one is in earshot. So why does she have to hand it to him on a piece of paper? Why can't she just say, get me a pregnancy test? Because obviously, the cameras were on, John. Obviously he's going to read it. I mean, Glenn is going to know what he has to get. And if she's yeah, saying... He, go ahead. He still didn't know what it was even when he read it. So, like, she just said... Well, he's like, well, where do I find this? Like, he didn't know what it was. So I don't know if he, she was being specific about. Did she say a brand name or something? I, I don't know. Maybe she wrote down a brand but didn't spell it out. Like, <laughs> Or she exactly. just said pee stick. It's just a weird yeah. scene. Like, if yeah, you're, it was very strange. If you're, obviously, you're in a secure enough place where you could say, please be discreet and don't tell anyone about this. Why can't you just tell them what you want? You have a better yeah. chance of somebody finding the note that you gave him than, than telling it to him. Because yep. if if she said it out loud, then it would spoil the surprise that they that we as viewers get at the end of the episode. Oh, that's so a great obvious. answer. I mean, it was like I mean, it was how, obvious it, to us. Yeah, I mean, you'd have. I mean, I don't want to disparage anybody. I'll probably end up calling somebody out on this, but you'd have to be pretty not paying attention or pretty slow on the uptake if you didn't put put two and two together as to what she possibly could be asking for. And I don't know, maybe if I'm just ultra biased because I know how things went down in the comic, but given what Jenner told Rick at the end of season one, given, uh, you know, what where they were going and what they were getting, it, it, it yeah, I just, I don't, I, if that's what they were going for, I think that was a fail on, on the writing part. Although, but to be fair, we still don't know for sure what Jenner told Rick. No, but... I and mean, this probably makes it even less likely that it was and a, that she's pregnant. And a non-comic reader... Isn't going to know for sure. We know for sure because we've read the books. We know Lori gets pregnant. A non-comic reader is going to go, well, I wonder if she's pregnant. Hey, I wonder if she's telling him, get me a pregnancy test. And then we wait till the end of the episode. Boom. Hey, I was right 20 minutes ago. Even if, how about, how about she hands him a list, right? How about she hands him a list and the pregnancy test is on it. And Glenn looks at the list and says, Hey, who's this? Just be quiet, Glenn. Get what's on the list and leave and leave it at that. 
that would have yeah, been better. Been. That would have worked better than here's this separate piece of paper that I don't want you to tell anyone about. Yeah, I mean, if somebody came up and said, hey, keep this on the down low, but get me a pregnancy test, you wouldn't need to write that down for me. That's something I think I would remember. You know, it's it's it, what else could it possibly be? You're going to a drugstore to get medical supplies and somebody asks you for something and doesn't want to say it out loud in front of other people. I well, mean, how that, else could they do it for us as viewers? I just told you. It's on the list, right? She says, get everything on this list. Glenn looks down at the list and he says, hey, who's this? And stops in the middle. Just get what's on the list, Glenn. We need everything on the list. But you sure? You need me to. Just get everything on the list, Glenn. <laughs> that's that's all you have to do. It's what we call a dramatic contrivance. True. A dramatic contrivance like the next scene, which was much more entertaining. Where T-Dog and Dale are at the well. They're, uh, they're getting water. And T-Dog's about to drink some water when Dale walks over to the well's opening, which has a big crack in it. And then he runs back and knocks the water out of T-Dog's hand because they've got a swimmer. The Toxic Avenger is at the bottom of the well. Yeah. Uh, or Quato. Quato. Yeah. It's kind of or a mix as, of the two, yeah. Or as... Uh, Chunk. Yeah. Chunk from the Goonies. Or as... Um, I, I wrote this on, on... I was kind of going between Facebook and Twitter while the episode was going on. And... um. I said, is that a zombie or Quato? And Andrew Bailey uh, commented back and said, zombie Quato. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and Lynn, who's a big Twitter uh, follower of ours, sent a picture of Quato. And it's pretty it's pretty close. Quato's a lot smaller. A little bit. But the faces look uh, very similar. It reminds me of the southern lawyer Quato from Venture Brothers, right, Jim? Oh, wait, guess we don't yeah, have although him. he's wearing a uh, white, he was wearing a, a white suit like uh, Colonel Sanders, though. Well, that, that probably just washed off in the well. It kind of reminded me of the uh, the the one uh, enemy from Left for Dead. The the uh, I think it's called the Bloater. No, no, it's the uh, the Boomer. Boomer. It's thank a you. Bloater in Dead Island, by the way. Ah, okay, that's probably exact the same thing. zombie. It throws up on you, and it's fat. <laughs> Did you guys see the behind the scenes uh, bit that they had on the AMCTV.com about the uh, the swimmer? No. Not yet. What was in it? Just, you know, how they filmed it and uh, how they made the swimmer and basically, you know, the uh, at, on the bottom half of the bicycle girl, they they um, had her wearing the blue tights. Well, th they did the same thing in this situation. They had the guy wearing the upper half of the zombie costume and they when the body fell apart and then it showed them pulling, you know, the top half up. That was when they they cut to the guy wearing the blue tights and they had to CG all that out and they added all the goop, at, you know, at the end. So it's pretty cool little behind the scenes still. Hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. I loved that. This whole sequence, it was just, I mean, we'll, we'll get to it because Jordan, I know you're not done um, recapping it, but it was just a lot of fun. No, no, I, I agree. I mean, like I said, it's another plot contrivance. You kind of just have to go with it, but it was incredibly entertaining. So yes, he did. <laughs> But I think I think T Dog had the best line, but Glenn had the best moment. Oh, the no doubt. But we'll get to that. So everyone gathers around the well. They decide, well, they can't kill it, even though T Dog wants to. He just wants to shoot it in the head. They say it's going to contaminate the water even more. So at first they lower a canned ham down on a rope down to the zombie to try and tempt it, and it doesn't have any interest in the canned ham. So they decide let's go with some live bait, and they lower Glenn down on one rope with another rope he can kind of lasso the zombie with. Poor Glenn. The first thing I thought of is, man, he gets all the, um, the the crap jobs, as as we would say. Yeah. Stupidest idea ever. How, how come this has never been on Dirty Jobs? 
And I love the scene where they're like, well, we're going to have to use some live bait. And they all kind of all look at Glenn. Yeah. <laughs> and the reaction shot of Glenn is like, why are they all looking at me? <laughs> well, and then, and then when, when he's down there, Maggie asks if he's okay. And he says, yep, living the dream. Which is pretty I, as they're lowering him down, I just kept picturing uh, Wile E. Coyote, like when he can't get the avalanche of rocks to start falling. So he starts jumping up and down on the rocks. And then he holds up this, <laughs> he holds up the sign that says, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah. So th- when they're lowering, so when they're lowering him down on the rope, it's uh, they're using a, I guess that was the pump they were using to kind of give more tension to the rope, so they can lower him down around that. But then it pops out of the ground. It's not very well secured, and Glenn falls about twenty feet, almost just inside the zombies' clutches, but not quite. And they have to really scramble to get him out of there. And that was just a really cool scene because again. I can't say it's it's completely um, surprising that something would go wrong, but I, you know, I guess in the back of my head, I was like, man, they got to give Glenn somewhat of a break. I mean, he's got to be put into a bad situation and something actually go his way, especially when we know he's trying to impress Maggie and there's something going on there. So I thought it was just kind of cool when when this whole thing went sideways and everybody's grabbing the rope and they're all pulling and poor T Dog with his his bum arm is is you know giving it everything he's got. And I, I just thought it was a cool, dramatic scene, even if it wasn't completely um, unexpected. Yeah. So they finally managed to pull Glenn out as he's really, he's freaking out the whole time. But they pull him out, and they they're trying to think, well, what's our plan B going to be? And he, I, I don't remember if he says plan B or what, or there's no need. But then they look down and they see that even in all the craziness, he managed to rope the zombie, and he walks away looking very triumphant. Yeah, that was a great line. I wish I remembered what it was. So, meanwhile, Daryl is out hunting for Sophia, and he comes across kind of a dilapidated old house out in the woods, and he goes in there with a crossbow and hunts around, you know, kind of scanning all the rooms, checking it out. He finds what looked like cat food or sardines or something. Sardine can. And uh, look pretty gross, but maybe someone was eating in there. And he thinks he hears a noise in the cupboard, uh, and he opens it up and sees that there's no one in there, but there is a blanket and a pillow. And then he leaves the house. Yeah, and he sees is, some Cherokee roses out on the lawn. This is another one like, I don't know, maybe it was just too quick or, I don't know, give me a zombie or something walking around. It just seemed like, I don't know, it was weird. He's he's hunting in this house and he finds some stuff, and but then he's out now and he's picking flowers and he doesn't tell anybody that there's a bed and that he found stuff in the house. He doesn't take any of the food he found. I don't know. Plus, so, they have like a lot of setups for scares that never happen. You know, all the very tense. You know, him, you know, with the crossbow going from room to room in the house. But I mean, nothing. You know, nothing came of it. Yeah, I was sure we were gonna get one zombie kill out of the scene. Now, this this whole house is never brought up again in the episode. A lot of people were upset about that. Um, you know, assuming you know he saw some sign of what could have been Sophia. Why didn't he tell her mother? I mean, I think we can come up with many good reasons why he didn't tell her mother. But why didn't he tell anyone? My guess is that this is Merle or this is something else. He knows it's not Sophia, but it's something that he doesn't want to alert the group to for whatever reason he might have. Yeah, it could be. I guess when we get to the part with him and Carol, I'll talk about that a little more. But uh, he could he could know something that he's not letting on to. I, I think that would make more sense than just deciding they didn't need to know. 
it's one of those things where we could spend 20 minutes talking about it, but you know, within like the first 15 minutes of next week's episode, they'll answer it and all of our arguing will have been for nothing. It did kind of appear to me that he either, I don't know, it just, it, it's hard to, it's hard to even put into words. I kind of got the feeling that while he was walking through the house, that he was understanding what he was seeing, that something was familiar to him. And, and, you know, maybe it is a Merle thing. Maybe he was seeing, you know, maybe Merle loves sardines or something like that. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. You know, maybe it's just something that we haven't been, that as viewers, you know, we're not privy to, but, you know, and it could be simply addressed in the, in the, like Jordan said in the next episode, you know, I walked through this house and I saw, and he's telling Rick or Shane or whatever, I saw this, my brother eats sardines and i saw the sardine can and whatever you know other other little things like that i would hope that they wouldn't just totally ignore well i don't think it's i i I don't think it's merle because he even makes the point when he talks to carol and relays the story to her that he says specifically like i know it wasn't my brother that was through there because of you know the bad things he's done but if anybody was you know went through there and you know would have well he said he knew the rose wasn't for sophia or for for Merle, right? But I don't, I don't know that that necessarily equals he knows Merle wasn't in the house. Well, that's true. Yeah, I guess I guess you're right. Yeah, I don't think he he made any reference to the house really. Right, but I guess that since they were both right there, I don't know. Just it, it, regardless, it was a little weird that he goes to this house, obviously finds you know clues or something, and it's never brought up again. So we then head back to the gang at the well, pulling the zombie out. Uh, they're kind of, I mean, it's gross. He's this giant zombie who's all bloated and waterlogged. They pull him up and he kind of gets caught. Like, I don't know if it was his belt caught on the top or just the weight kind of evened out and they were having trouble pulling him out. They just about got him out and his bottom half separates because it's so waterlogged and softened and shoots blood and gore everywhere. And then you've just got half a zombie kind of like a fat bicycle girl rolling around on the lawn. And then T-Dog bashes his head in with a baseball bat and says good thing we didn't do something stupid like shoot it in the in the head is it a baseball bat or a crowbar i think one in a crowbar that was just an awesome scene it's just like that nothing can go right you know the the fact that they they you know they're able to, glenn is almost killed by this thing they lower it down he he snags them even though they you know when they when they think they're they're kind of screwed at that point they hoist the thing up and it just falls apart and all that stuff when all that, and it's not that it just fell apart, but then all of the ooze from the top half just goes down into the well. It was <laughs> practically was, a geyser going back down into there. That was awesome. That was but, just, I just laughed so hard. But that said, and granted, this is one of those things where we always go, well, we don't know because we're not in that situation. But I thought, even if they pulled that zombie out in one piece and he didn't split apart and he didn't shoot gore everywhere, would you ever in a million years drink water from the one well out of five that had a zombie down in it? No way. And it really surprised me that Dale didn't Maybe say, not. you know, there's way I'm drinking out of that. Maybe not drink out of it, but they did say there were five wells. So maybe that's the well that if they had to, they could boil it and wash with it or, um, you know, I don't I don't know. Do, do something with it. Yeah, I don't think I'd be, uh, be drinking the zombie water there. No yeah. way. No, you can have some of my zombie Hawaiian punch. I'm glad they did this scene, though, because this is a show that could get very dark and 
you know, no light at the end of the tunnel, a big downer. You know, you've, I've heard that in the first season and, and some. So this, these are kind of like those zombie land, lighthearted moments that, you know, every once in a while, I think it's good for it. Oh, yeah, it was okay. a great scene. Uh, so we then go to Carol, whose last name is apparently Pelletier, who is standing on the freeway near where they lost Sophia. And she's standing in front of a car that has written on the windshield, Sophia, stay here and we will come every day. And there's food and drinks sitting on the car with a blanket and a flashlight. And this is where Carol, Andrea, and Shane start walking back to the house. And Shane gives Andrea gun advice. And he says shooting a moving target is difficult. We had the whole conversation earlier because I had missed it here. Um, but so they have that whole conversation. Now, do you guys think that it seems like Shane is getting closer to Andrea? Um, we know D- Daryl kind of had his moment, but uh, at least I, I know Brad, you and I didn't feel like there was any, any kind of romantic tension going on there. But it seems like Shane and Lori are kind of um, connecting, connecting more. And um, so I wonder if, if this is going to kind of set Dale, if this is going to cause some tension between Dale, because, um, you know, Dale knows or has a pretty good inkling as to what was going on between Shane and Lori while Rick was gone. Um, did, did I say Lori earlier? I meant Andrea. Um, sorry. <laughs> that, um, that 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 the relationship or the friendship that Andrea and Shane are sparking is going to cause Dale to to kind of go further um, towards jealousy because he knows what kind of person that Shane is. Yeah, I could see it going that way. I must be alone in in the camp of not getting any kind of vibes, sparks or whatever between Shane and Andrea. I just think Andrea sees you know a black sheep that like she feels like and maybe that's just some common ground but i, yeah, I, didn't, I i'm didn't not really getting any it. yeah i'm not getting any kind of attraction between the two at all I, and i don't see that either but i could just see where dale might get a you know I, some jealousy because he sees that they're spending time together i mean whether whether there's anything there or not i just gotta know i, I just gotta be thinking that i don't think dale has a very high opinion of shane to begin with i know that him and Andrea are kind of on the outs at this point. Um, I think obviously Dale cares very greatly for Andrea, and the fact that it's Shane that's making the move, I think, is really going to start to set him off. Yeah, he he could be jealous of the connection perceived or real, regardless of whether it's sexual or not, because he used to have a pretty tight relationship with Lori or um, with Lori Holden, with Andrea. I'm doing it too now, and now he doesn't ever since what he pulled at the CDC. Plus, remember that scene with uh, with Dale and Rick and Shane uh, out hunting right. for game, and you know Dale was the one who saw Shane take a beat on Rick. You know, so I think that that might play in as well. You know, it's funny you should mention that, Jim. At the beginning of this show, when Rick, w- I'm sorry, when Shane was giving his eulogy of sorts, they cut away to Dale, and I kind of got a little look from Dale, like I'm not so sure that I actually believe what you're saying right now, Shane, because as Dale said, I know what kind of guy you are. You know, didn't he say that to Shane at one point? Maybe he can definitely tell when Shane is lying though, to an extent, he seems to have that gift. Yeah. And I guess that's all I'm saying. You know, he saw, you know, what Shane did in the woods last season. And so I just kind of got the feeling that maybe he did, he wasn't quite buying what Shane was. He wasn't picking up what Shane was putting down. At the funeral. Dale is like Iwatu. He is the watcher. Exactly. 
So Glenn and Maggie ride horses into town, and I missed it before, but when when she first tells him, "Oh, we're gonna ride horses into town," he 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 watches her through binoculars as she's bringing the horses to her to him, and says, "Ooh, farmer's daughter, nice!" Right before Lori stops in the town about the the pregnancy test. So I like good that. Line. Yeah, I like that <laughs> that shot where she steps into the frame when you're looking through the binoculars. That He's like, I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't doing, I was just, you know, his, his normal stutter thing. Busted. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like that scene in Back to the Future. So Glenn is trying to uh, impress her as they ride into town. He says, you know, this is the kind of thing I normally do solo. And then he asks her if she's okay because she had a weird look on her face back when they were dealing with the well zombie. And he assumes she isn't used to seeing them. They get to Steve's pharmacy in, in a very small town, and there's a sign on the door that says, take what you need, God bless. And I kind of like the di- dichotomy of that as opposed to the um, the department store in season one where they had to kind of question, are we looting? Is this okay? And here in the small town, it's very well put out on Front Street, you know, take what you need, it's okay. It's kind of like a stark comparison to Herschel as well, who's more like, you know, get out. Uh, you know, he's supposedly like the man of God, but he's more like, when you guys are done here, you need to move on. And yet this store is kind of like, uh, you know, take what you need, God bless. It's just a different sort of take on the whole God mm-hmm. angle. Right. So Maggie says she's going to go look for antibiotics, and Clem gives her the list while he goes off to look for the item Lori sent him after, uh, the pregnancy test, of course. So he finds one right when Maggie walks up and he kind of scrambles around and puts it in his bag and grabs the first thing he sees on the floor, which is a box of condoms. And they have a really awkward um, flirting moment. She ends up saying, look, I'll have sex with you. There's not a lot of partners around here. There's not a lot of people to choose from. And I'm lonely as well. And they get into some hanky panky. Yep. Another thing that we all knew was going to happen, but uh, the general TV watching public seemed to like it and be surprised which is which is awesome and it was a great awkward scene i mean i i really enjoy those kind of scenes especially with glenn and i thought they both they both pulled it off pretty well the, the scene the corresponding scene in the comic i felt was just as awkward um for for glenn she was very direct in the comic the language is a little different obviously in the comic um because there are certain words you can't say on television it's uh, salty yes uh but it was, uh, it was, it might not have been, I honestly don't remember where they were in the comic. It might have been a pharmacy, but it was. Didn't that, they actually sneak into the barn? Uh, I don't, I, it's possible. I don't remember, but as far as the conversation goes, it was almost a direct translation from, from the comic. It wasn't the barn. <laughs> well, no, no. I think there, no. I think there's a part where you see them sneaking off to the barn, but you never actually see them, uh, in flagrante delicto, if you will. Yeah, but I, I quit using your Latin means, lawyer words. It means in the heat of passion, and it's a funny phrase. Here, here's I another. Believe, I still can't believe you used the phrase hanky panky. Yeah. Necking? Is that Latin? <laughs> Hankus pankus? <laughs> the baloney pony. <laughs> Here, Here's a scene where, John, like you were saying earlier, things went by too quick. I, I, I think. Again, there's scenes that they drag out, and I would have liked to have seen them stretch out Glenn and, and Maggie maybe spending more time with each other or maybe cut back and forth to them on their way to the uh, to the pharmacy to kind of just show that they they were maybe starting to get along with each other or maybe starting to know each other. And 
I mean, not to say that in that situation those things you know wouldn't happen or that things you know don't happen, whatever. But it, it I just would have liked to have seen more interaction with them before just kind of um, things happening as they did. I think it would have made it a, a little more interesting because you know when. If they don't know each other at all, it's just kind of like whatever. But I also think that Maggie just kind of made it seem like, oh, it's just a one-time thing. It's no big deal. And I think that's a cover. I think I – and you know, maybe I'm biased by what I know in other media, but I think that, that they're going to form a relationship and that um, it's not just going to be a one-time thing and it's not just going to be all about the physical. I think um, the two of them – will you know will start to kind of connect with each other because of that experience yeah i mean how many times have you seen romantic comedies you know no this didn't mean anything to me this is only a one-time thing and then you know yeah. like like you said well what was that movie um Jaws? friends with benefits friends with benefits was was all about that you know they were just sex partners basically and they said we keep the keep the emotions out of it and eventually of course it didn't it didn't end up that way so and that's pretty much how. Spoiler. <laughs> I'm talking about. I'm. I'm kidding. I'm. I'm, I'm oh, kidding. okay. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I think a All lot right. of it was she was just impressed with his. Well, I mean, a they're two horny twenty somethings who have been celibate for two months in the zombie apocalypse. The other is she was kind of impressed with what he was able to do with the zombie in the well. Like you know, he, it looked like he was going to die, and he came out on top. And you know, even though they weren't able to successfully get the zombie out of the well. Everything he tried to do, he was successful in. Yeah, that was a really um, cool thing to know that somehow we didn't see it. They didn't show it to us, but somehow he got that rope around the zombie. I was I was really surprised, you know, and and the look on Dale's face, too, when he's like, I can't remember exactly how Glenn put it, but he basically said, like, no, I. I, Yeah, I did. I did it. Just pull on the rope. You'll see. And and he was like, holy crap. And I got him. We got, Glenn set the hook. We got we got a biter, so to speak. Real quick, we we definitely have to move on. But uh, there was an article with uh, an interview with Robert Kirkman, and he was saying how it's amazing that they can have this swimmer zombie get ripped in half and pour guts and blood out into a well, but they couldn't show so much as a butt cheek in a sex scene. We got some good side I- moves, though. See, but I don't buy that because if you've seen Mad Men, Mad Men gets – that's as risque as I've ever seen on – Do you think it's the combo television. though, Russ? Do you think it's like, listen, mm-hmm. we're letting you get away with the zombie gore. You're not having sex also? I don't know because there's a scene in Mad Men, believe it or not, that would rival almost any scene that they've done in The Walking Dead. Now, granted, it was just Are one. you talking about the lawnmower? No. Oh, that was that was bad too. But <laughs> that was oh. amazing. No, there was a there was a Korean War flashback in Mad Men, and I don't I don't want to spoil it. Oh but, yeah, yeah, but yeah. It's it's extremely graphic. Now, granted, it was one scene in one episode done one time, but Mad Men a, also airs an hour later than Walking Dead does. Yeah, I, I guess. And I've seen things like I don't know. I mean, granted, it's FX and not AMC, but if you've seen stuff like The Shield, The Shield gets pretty graphic. I mean, you see, you know, rear nudity on males and females constantly um and like i said on mad men it was kind of in shadow but they've almost done i mean you've seen pretty much a woman topless i mean if it wasn't for the fact that it was slightly dark i mean it would have those pasties i think because it was a old-fashioned strip club 
No, no, we're not talking about that. I'm not talking about that. I mean, there, there's a scene in, in, in a private residence where, where it's like, it's all there. So I was, when I read that, I, cause I read that same thing from Kirkman that, that you did, John, I was, I was a little taken aback by that. Um, because it doesn't seem to jive with what we've seen in other AMC shows, at least, at least what I've seen on Mad Men. But you could be right. It could be the combo of the, of the violence and gore tone combined with, with that, that might have been a problem. Because the next thing you know, it's Spartacus. Yeah, exactly. Great show. Yeah. So Rick asks Herschel to reconsider letting them stay on the farm. And Rick says he lied to Carl that morning, and this is where he gets in that whole conversation about how he feels so bad about it. Herschel says his father didn't bother with the lies. He just beat him up instead. You know, He left the farm when he was 15 and didn't return for many years, didn't go to his own father's funeral, and he still doesn't regret it. Herschel basically says that Carl loves Rick and that it's okay to lie once in a while. Rick again asks him to consider, and Herschel says if they will follow his rules, he will consider it. Is this where they have the conversation about God? Um, or is maybe? that later on? I, I know this was the one where they're in front of the in front of the barn talking. I think the one right. the one where they're talking about God oh, is where they look out on the vista. Yeah, that that's when they when he says, uh, "Come here, Rick, take a look at this," and they they cut to that that scene where he's looking out, you know, on that obviously green screen moment which was all i'm trying to say it was a really bad um effect you know with the the lengths that they go to to make the zombies look as good as they do you'd think they could get a green screen shot right but it, that was that was pretty amateurish looking negative nancy hey i'm only speaking what i see so we cut back to glenn and maggie they're riding on the horses again and this is where Glenn starts to talk. Maggie interrupts and says, don't spoil it. It's a one-time thing. They get back to the house. Lori asks Glenn for the pregnancy test. He gives it to her, but doesn't say anything, and he walks away looking very concerned. Daryl gets back to the motorhome, and Carol has cleaned up the place. Daryl gives her a flower, says it's a Cherokee rose, and tells her the story about when, during the Trail of Tears, when the soldiers were moving the Native Americans off their land. A lot of the children would die and get lost along the way, and eventually the Cherokee mothers... And the elders held this prayer ceremony, and the mothers cried so much from losing their little little ones along the way that uh, the next day they looked in that same spot, and there was a Cherokee rose blooming right there where the tears fell. And he says he doesn't think any of these tears, any of the roses bloomed for his brother. He thinks they bloomed for Sophia. And he again reaffirms that he thinks they're going to find her. This was a very popular scene with the uh, female friends of ours. I was just about to say, is anybody else in this virtual room, were they wanting to throw up at this point? No. It didn't no. bother me. I mean, I, I didn't think it was poorly acted or, or bad. No, it's, I, mean, it's, I guess all I'm saying is that Daryl is really, really close to turning into a big sissy, and that's really going to piss me off if that happens. Um, I didn't take it that way. I kind of – I thought this was interesting because I thought it – Daryl, the whole Daryl going off on his own and looking for Sophia, I thought was an opportunity for Daryl to be Daryl. Like he's going to be the huntsman. He's going to pick up a trail. He's going to be by himself. He's out in the woods. He's kind of, he's, he's got a mission. I, yeah, I and thought, we did kind of see some of that. Yeah. And then I thought coming back, I, I think for whatever reason, and maybe it was because, you know, maybe we find out, you know, he's mistreated by his, his parents or whatever. That Which he is really, more than likely. Yeah. Yeah. That he he really feels for the fact that this woman who it was in an abusive relationship. I mean, her husband you know beat her up and and stuff like that. And now her kid has gone on top of it. That 
you know, maybe he's, you know, this is the other side of that. It's like, okay, he's, he's been able to, to kind of be the badass and to go off and do his own thing. But he does realize that there's a little girl out there that's lost and her mother really does care for her. And she really is a good person. Um, and that this is his way of just kind of connecting with her and just, just, you know, trying to convince her that, you know, he's on it, he's going to find her, um, and just get her to, to, to let it, you know, to, to not give up hope and for them to keep on going. This situation is like the closest thing to a real family he's ever had. We get the impression of anyway. And, you know, I, I think that's enough to change a person. Yeah. I suppose that's a valid enough point, but you know, this is just not the Daryl that, that we were introduced to. And obviously he's been changing. Oh. Yes. He's been changing and growing, but I guess I just don't know if I like it or not. I, I think if nothing else, it's going to set up interesting conflict if and when Merle ever shows back up. And I think the more we see him change, the more conflict we're going to have later on, which if that's what we get out of it, I think that'll be a good thing. Yeah, it'll all be worth it at that point. I just feel like I'm missing a uh, – there's like an information gap. I think if you watch season one and then immediately watch season two – it seems like we're getting a different character altogether well, without seeing the transformation. A lot of that's going to be reaction to reviews. I mean, almost universally, every review of The Walking Dead from professional critics complained about how, you know, what is the point of this Merle character and this Daryl Dixon character who are these obnoxious racist a-holes who are basically caricatures of the sa- of Southerners. And, you know, not not all of them were saying it's offensive, but they're saying it's it's cartoony and it needs to be toned down. And I think they at least chose for Daryl. I mean, we don't know for Merle yet, but for Daryl, let's make him more sympathetic, more of a three dimensional human being and not just a, you know, walking attitude with an accent. And I think it works for a better character. I mean, I don't know about you guys. But... I think there's a middle ground that they're missing. I think they went too far the other way. But, you know, we'll see. Uh, it's going to be interesting when Merle comes back if he will whip his ass into shape. Well, and two, don't forget, we're also seeing where basically the premiere, the, pilot, the, the season two premiere was really two episodes kind of shoved into one. So who knows what was kind of cut or clipped to fit both of those into, into that time frame. So it could be that we would have seen a little bit more of, of that interaction or that transformation that just um, didn't get didn't get used, and so like you said, John, we're kind of seeing the abbreviated version of of what happened with with Daryl. True. So Rick is sitting with Carl, and he starts to tell him that he lied about Sophia, but Carl says that Lori already told him. Carl says it's okay, and asks if they're fu- if they've found her yet, and Rick says he thinks they will. Uh, Carl says they're now in the same sh- club now because they've both been shot, and, and Rick says, well, just don't tell your mother that. And then in a scene I think I'll at least say I've been waiting for, and I'm pretty sure you guys all have been too, Rick gives the sheriff's hat to Carl. Yeah, yeah. I had a big dumb smile on my face that whole time. Yeah, and I think mm-hmm. everybody – yeah. I think we should add that anybody who's not reading the comic that Carl's been running around wearing that hat since the beginning – yeah. Um, so I think episode kind of, six or issue six, issue five, somewhere like that. Yeah. So it's it's good to see him get it. Yeah. Yeah. That was a definite, you know, fist pump, you know, yell out loud kind of kind of moment, and just um, really made me happy to to see that. Now just get him a six shooter, damn it. So for our final scene of the night, Lori goes outside by herself with the pregnancy test. 
onto a field, she pees on it, and in what seems faster to me than what a normal pregnancy test would be, although I've never peed on one, uh, there is a plus sign. She's pregnant, and the episode is over. Yeah, I didn't quite get that whole... I was like, okay, why does she feel the need to go all the way outside to do that? Why doesn't she just With go a knife. The- I thought she was going to kill somebody. Yeah. Well, I, I knew that's what she was going to do, but I was like, why wouldn't she just do that in the bathroom? Um, the best explanation I saw was that she's going to have to hide this thing. So either she goes and pees on it in the bathroom, then sneaks out of the house and throws it into the field. Or she just goes out into the field, pees on it and throws it away. She's yeah, kind of cutting out the middleman. The middle I would think it would be less likely that somebody's going to going to sneak up on her or see her. You know, I, I, get, I, I guess if she's having to actually go outside, stop, pee on a thing look at it and then toss it the odds are less are more likely that she would get found out by somebody outside because not everybody is staying in the house than if she had just peed on the thing in the bathroom in the house and then pitched it outside or wrapped it up in a bunch of toilet paper and just threw it at the bottom of the trash can or something i, I don't know it just it, it just seemed odd and yeah that must be like the world's fastest pregnancy test ever i mean because it was like three seconds and it was like ready i was like what yeah, that's... And then, and then just the whole shock of them actually showing her squatting down, peeing, and you could hear it and everything. I was yeah, like, my wow, question is, am I going to hear this? And yeah, it was surprising. She had like, been drinking a lot of fluids. I was like, wow. So I was not wowed, of course, by this ending. We and we talked about it a little bit already because we all kind of knew, you know, that she was pregnant. I guess the bigger you know, mystery is supposed to be whose it is. Um, this is the first time I felt shortchanged by knowing the comic so well. Like this episode, I think I knew Glenn and Maggie were getting together. I knew Lori was pregnant. Um, we know some other things that we're not ready to talk about yet in the general situation that they're in. So this was kind of like the first time I was like, ah, man, I wish I didn't know so much. I didn't really get a bang out of this ending or, you know, the couple of main points of this episode. I would agree that I was in that same situation. Um, It was kind of anticlimactic, but, you know, it happened the way we kind of wanted it to. So, you know, at the same time, it was okay. I, I feel a little hypocritical in liking this episode as much as I do. Because one of the complaints I had about the last episode was we're not moving forward. Things aren't moving fast. You know, we're still looking for Sophia. Carl is still on the mend. And for the most part, that's kind of what we got in this episode. But this episode, for me, had so many more moments that were fun. You know, the the thing with the well, Maggie and Glenn finally getting together, Carl with the hat, Lori, you know, whether whether we are happy with the method or not. I mean, Lori finding out herself for sure that she's pregnant, you know, the conversation between Rick and Herschel about whether or not they could stay there. All those things I think were good, important moments, um, which, which really made me like this episode a lot more, I think, than the previous, um, the previous one. But, but again, I, I think we're four episodes in and I, I, I kind of stick by my, you know, statement that, I, I think I'd feel better pacing-wise if, if, if this was episode three we were talking about instead of episode four we were talking about. Agreed. I, I kind of agree and disagree in terms of uh, knowing stuff from the comic and whether that spoils things. Because, Brad, as you pointed out, in the scene where Carl gets the hat, you had a big dumb grin on your face, and so did I. 
But I also had that for, say, the scene with Glenn and Maggie or some of the other scenes that we've seen from the comic, even though, and, and let's, um, I mean, this is not spoiling anything, but all those things happen in the comic, but they all happen in a different location, in a different context, um, in a slightly different way. They're all, yes, they're all in one sense from the comic, but in another sense, they're very different. But on the other, on the other hand, you know, we complain a lot, you know, whether it be us or just other commenters out there, other fans of the show, when they go to the CDC, because that's not in the books, or when they do X, Y, or Z, because that's not in the books. We we can't have it both ways. Either <laughs> either we got to accept that some of the things are going to be from the book and some aren't. Or you, you, you know what I mean? You, you can't just complain when things are not in the comics and then when things are. It didn't bother me that I knew they were coming because I had a big dumb grin on my face the whole time. All I'm saying is I enjoyed Shane shooting notice because I didn't know it was coming at all as an ending than finding out Lori was pregnant. That's all I'm saying. I don't complain when things that, that don't happen happen in no, the books. No, I, I know we don't. I'm just speaking in, in generalities. Yeah, I, just at, for me as a comic reader, this ending didn't have the bang that a couple of the other ones have had because I just, I know, I knew I knew it was coming. <laughs> That's all. How about Busters? Do we want to do Busters? And then uh, we're running a little late here, but we got some other things to get to. I'll I'll start off. I give it a three. I was like hanging in there at 2.5, 3, but I'm going to give it a 3 because I, I think the moments were good, even though I didn't get so much out of them. I think the Maggie-Glenn hookup went over well. It was done well. I liked the swimmer and, uh, and you know, the Shane, the uh, Shane, the uh, Lori reveal at the end is a, is a big one. I mean, now we're going to deal with whose baby is it and all that stuff, so I went with a 3. I'll give it a 3.75. You know, it, it wasn't my favorite episode ever. But it didn't do anything that really ticked me off. I was going to give it a generous three, but I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to say it, it just wasn't, it didn't do it enough for me to deserve the three. I'm going to give it a two seven, 2.75, especially even though it's a separate deal, but especially because of what we're going to talk about here in a little bit. It just soured the whole experience for me, I suppose. I give it a three and a half. I think it was solid enough. Um, I think, again, I think if it was paced a little better and I think if they were moving on with some things, I think it definitely would have been above four. I mean, the, you know, the, the zombie floater and the, and the Maggie Glenn stuff was, was definitely enough to push it in a higher category. I give it a three. Um, I, I agree with uh, what Russ was saying about uh, the pacing issues, but that's kind of been an overall theme in a lot of these episodes in episode two. It seems like, like, well, again, what John was saying before, you know, some things seem to happen, you know, rapid fire, and then other things seem to take forever to happen. And I think we kind of see this more in this episode. The Sophia, uh, you know, subplot has overstated its welcome by a couple episodes, in my opinion. Um, I'm interested for them to get on with the rest of the Herschel story. Uh, I can't wait to hear what the, you know, the community who haven't read the comics think about the rest of what's going on. Um, so I give it a solid three busters for this episode. It's just, you know, it was, a, it was a C, C plus. All right. I have some Twitter busters real quickly. Uh, Alicia gives it a four for the first half and a two and a half for the second half. A bit of a snoozer. Wild Mercy gives it a three. Uh, let's see. Tammy gives it a four. Whitney Green gives it a 3.5. Not as good as last week, but Tubby Well Zombie splitting in two. And Lori's PT result were high points. Uh, Caesar gives it a four out of five. 
Summer gives it a five out of five. First episode to make me cry. She's a Dixon's Vixen, so I'm pretty sure I know what part made her cry. Uh, Tiny Rubber Robot gives it a four out of five. Lots of fun, big comic moments, yet it still seemed to drag a little. 3.75 from Liz and two and a half from Soda. Best part of the show was seeing blank in the previews for next week. We will get to the blank shortly. Uh, We did a Twitter poll again. Got a little more votes this time, which is cool. 23% gave it a 5. I just don't get a 5. I'm not complaining. I didn't think the show was bad, but I wouldn't put it in like the best of the season or of the series so far. But 23% gave it a 5. 21% gave it a a 3.5. And then you have 19% in 4 and 3. So a little bit lower this week, I would say. Definitely more in the 3 to 4 range than the 4 to 5 range, which we've been getting uh, for the other shows. So thanks for everybody again for hanging out on Twitter during the episode. We have a lot of fun. And uh, you can follow at WDTV Podcast to join in some fun during the commercial breaks. Brad, I think we're gonna. I think what we're gonna do is we're gonna save. We have some voicemails and stuff regarding this episode. I think we'll do them in the beginning next show, being that we're running a little long. But I did want to get to Aaron's email, Brad, because he has some good thoughts. You want to give that to us? Yeah, we got this uh, this afternoon from Aaron uh, from the Out Now podcast. It says, "Hey, John and the rest of the gang, had some thoughts on Cherokee Rose. Overall, I would say three and a half busters. After save the last one." which I still regard as my second favorite episode of the entire series. It was certainly a bit of a momentum killer to me when watching this episode. It was obviously very character-focused, which is fine, and what I mostly expect from the series is just that not a whole lot of it was interesting. The good, getting a little more out of who Herschel is, was interesting and should provide for some nice turns in the weeks to come, especially as us comic readers know. Carl bonding with Rick and wearing the hat was nice, and Glenn helped provide us with what many have said the show has been lacking, the chance to see side boob. But seriously, no one dislikes Glenn, and it was nice to see him uh, get to have a little action in more ways than one this week. Uh, the bad. Let's find Sophia already. That's, that seems to be uh, kind of a running theme lately. Uh, It's something that more people are saying, and I'm certain we all feel the same way. Uh, Let's find Sophia already. A lot of us are like a broken record with this. I don't know what they... I can't put my finger on where they went wrong, but other other angles work like this in other TV shows, like where you drag something out, and that's the question. You know, who shot JR? I'm dating myself, but, uh, you know, it can work, but it's not working here. No, it's definitely not. I don't know what where they went wrong, but um, it's there, not working. There has to be some kind of serious payoff, and you know I have a really bad feeling about what that's going to be. But you know we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, okay, here we go. Uh, a lot of us are like a broken record with this, but the girl needs to be found already. And he says something here that that I you know pretty much reflects what I said earlier, and it's also starting to soften Daryl a bit too much in my eyes but that may be something better expressed next week. I'm not sure what he means by better expressed next week. Anyways, also the swimmer, while initially grotesquely cool to look at, uh, this whole sequence was pretty throwaway. And that, and, and uh, Jordan kind of said as much, didn't you, Jordan? Yeah, more or less. It was a fun scene, but it was just yeah. kind of shoehorned in there, so they had an actual zombie in the episode. Right. 
even if they got him out, no one would be drinking that water after the fact anyway, which we kind of all uh, said as well. One final thought, since Lori found out she was pregnant, glad we had that sound effect, right? Uh, I'm not Aaron. I could have used it. I could have done without it. Uh, it would be pretty boring if we found out that Jenner told Rick the same thing. There's no real tension at this point if Rick and Lori both know and try to tell each other the things they both already know. If I'm correct, I need a more fun theory for what Jenner said now, such as, don't trust Shane or his pants. So those are my two cents. Not a bad episode, just a big slowdown from last week. Very cool. Thank you, Aaron. Jim, I think you have one other message that you want to go with, and then uh, we'll kind of close this out before we go to the preview for next week. I do indeed. We got a, uh, an email from Linda Murphy, who is uh, trying to get members to join a Facebook page to get Norman Reedus to host Saturday Night Live. If you're on the Facebooks, and most of us are these days, the name of the group that you want to look for is Norman Reedus to host SNL. Um, and she asked if we could spread the word on that to uh, get the online petition as many signatures as possible. I think it'd be kind of cool to have Norman Reedus on Saturday Night Live. Uh, so if you are interested, if uh, you're on the Facebooks and you're so inclined to do so, if you're a Dixon's Vixen or uh, a Boondock Betty, go ahead and join that group. Again, it's uh, Norman Reedus to host SNL. That would be cool. Him and Steven Yoon did a funny thing. What was it? The Soup? What show was? What show did? Uh... Yeah, that was The Soup. Yeah, that was pretty funny. I bet he'd be pretty good on Saturday Night Live. And I bet he'd have somebody to hang out with after the show. And they could have Rob Zombie be the musical guest. That would actually be funny. That would be funny. Does he do music anymore? I don't think he does music anymore. He's directing bad. I don't think he ever did music. Ooh. Send hate mail to Jordan at Legion of Dudes. Okay. uh, Russell, why don't you do a little bit of business, and we will then do some more stuff. All right. So if you're a fan of the Walking Dead TV podcast, and obviously you are, and you're not listening to the show from the what we call the master feed at uh, hhwled.com, uh, we implore you to check out the other shows that we have on the network. Uh, we refer to the net, to HHWLOD as the network all the time, and we have a variety of other shows. We have Brad's show, which he hosts with uh, Frank Rincon and Bill McGonnell called Half Hour Wasted, where they talk about a variety of different topics, just kind of random comic book movies, um, Bill fixing his car, um, you know, voicemails, emails, Twitter, all kinds of, uh, you know, stuff like that. Um, usually if there's some sort of Dallas con going on, uh, uh, I usually trek my way up there and we have a lot of good fun and, 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 uh, talk about that. We also have the Legion of Dudes, which is my podcast along with, I say mine, our podcast with uh, John, Jim, Jordan, and Mr. Ken Morgan, who is not on the Walking Dead podcast. And our shtick on the Legion of Dudes is typically to take something and just kind of dissect it in, in great detail. So we try and alternate around. We'll take a, a typically it's it's mainly comic books as opposed to most other stuff, but um, it's it's comics, it's movies. Um, we do a monthly what we call a BS show where we just kind of talk about random topics. Um, we usually kind of go round table of video games, movies, comics, etc. Um, so that's that's a lot of fun. We also have uh, another podcast that Ken Morgan and uh, Art Lewandowski, who used to do Too Old to Grow Up podcast, started called the Tech Dudes. And as you can guess, it's all about technology. And episode two of that will be up very shortly. 
Um, and like I said, we just focus on technology. We kind of throw a little bit of a geek flair to, towards technology, so it's not your typical, um, you know, thing that you would hear on like Leo Laporte's Twit Network and stuff like that. Some other shows that we have on the network um, as well are out now with Aaron and Abe, which is a movie review podcast. So it's Aaron and Abe get together and talk about uh, recent uh, movies that that have come out, and it's not just. Um, genre or geek genre movies i mean it's really anything that's coming out they they talk about so that's a lot of fun um some other shows that aren't on the what we call the master feed but are out there are um what we call the pkd media black box and its shows which is um um tales from the attic with donnie salvo and um as well the as carol the PKD, chronicles yeah the carol chronicles with uh, john carroll and then um Sean Pryor of PKD Media and Action Lab Entertainment, his uh, PKD Media Black Box, where, again, they kind of focus mo- mainly on comics and movies and talk about a lot of different stuff. So there's a lot of stuff we have going on um, on, what, like I said, what we refer to as the network. And you can find all of that at HHWLOD.com, as well as we you know, have some you know, blog posts that go, that go up with movie reviews or pertinent things that, that are going on that, that we come across. A lot of times Warner Brothers or... Um, Dark Horse or some of the other co- companies will send us some promo materials that we'll put up. So, so definitely check it all out and um, and see what we have to offer other than just the Walking Dead TV podcast. Well said. So that's it for the non-spoiler part of our show. We've got our, our end notes here, including information about the contest, the Where's Sophia contest. And then uh, after the end liner, we're going to go into spoiler discussion about next week. So if you haven't seen the preview and the teaser for next week, don't listen after that. Just skip to the end if you want to hear the bloopers. Jim, take it away. If you would like to immortalize yourself by leaving a voicemail for the Walking Dead TV podcast, you may do so at 516-468-7912. Or you may leave an electronic mail, as the kids call it, an email at comments at walkingdeadtv.com. Jordan, what are the uh, the details on the Where Sophia contest? Have we found her? Is she like Carmen Sandiego? Is she lost to us forever? She's more like Waldo, wears a lot of stripes. But if you have a guess as to where Sophia is, send us an email, send us a voicemail, only one per person, please. You could win a signed copy of Volume 1 or Volume 2, signed by Robert Kirkman and Chris Hardwick. So definitely get in on that contest. Check out HHWLOD.com for all the great shows on our network, uh, like Russ was talking about before. Uh, the newest newest member of the HHWLOD family is... The Tech Dudes podcast, you definitely want to check that out. Uh, we can also find, uh, you can also find these shows on Facebook. Uh, Legion of Dudes, uh, I know for a fact, uh, Facebook has been refurbished lately, so keep an eye open for that group. Uh, forumforgeeks.com is a forum where a geek can be a geek. Check out all of our forums there for all of the podcasts on our network. And you can follow us on Twitter at WDTV Podcast and at HHWLOD underscore network. So until there's no more room in hell and the dead walk the earth, remember, Farmer's Daughter? Nice. So for those of you who aren't going to listen to the spoiler discussion, have a nice week. And for those of you who are, it starts now. What the hell are they doing putting Merle in the preview? It's a teaser. It's called a teaser for a reason. You know, I I try not to use this kind of language on our shows, but they must have a bunch of dumbasses working in AMC marketing. I mean, you don't, you don't spoil the biggest reveal your show could possibly do in an upcoming, hey, this is what's happening next week. You just don't do that.
I agree. The only thing, well, it, I, I watched it. I didn't even watch the preview, and then I was spoiled by people talking about it on Twitter and stuff. So then I watched the preview. Is there any chance that it's some sort of flashback or um, I've heard the term hallucination? I don't know who would be hallucinating. Yeah, um, there's a chance, yeah. I mean, we've seen, not necessarily in the next week's episode's previews, but in promos for the season, we've seen several, we saw several scenes in those promos that we haven't seen yet in the new season. Um, so maybe this is something like that. But having said that, in all of the next week on Walking Dead teases they've given us, all those scenes have shown up the next week. So if, if the ratings, through, if the ratings take an uptick next week, we'll know exactly why. Exactly. And that's why I think they did it. I think it's, they did something that's going to get people talking, that's going to get buzz going, that's going to, um, you know, allow them to, to promo that a little more. And I think, I think it's, I, I mean, I, I could easily argue both sides of this coin, but I think if you're the network and you're looking at it from a business perspective, you want to try and get the most bang for your buck and get as many eyeballs on the TV set as you can. And if teasing a little bit that Merle is coming back, which is something that everybody's been speculating for a long time, um, gives you that, that buzz and that bump, then that's what they're going to do. Two words, two words. November sweeps. Yeah, it's just like true. Russ was saying, they're trying to get as many eyeballs on as many screens as possible so they can get those November sweep, sweeps numbers, which sets how high they can set the revenue for the rest of the season. So that's why they're bringing out the big guns in November to get as high of a rating as they possibly can. And oh. if you don't want to be spoiled, don't watch the preview. I never do. Does that mean we spoiled it for you? Yeah, I, I only watched. I only watched it because it came up in our email thread, and I knew we were going to talk about it. And I didn't want to be. Uh, I I didn't want to have nothing to add. But if you don't want to be spoiled, don't watch it. I mean, and beyond that, we have no idea. Like I forget who said exactly. We have no idea what the context okay, is. I remember right. season three of Lost. There was that promo with Jin speaking English, saying everything's going to change, and everybody freaked out. And then it was it was a fever All dream. Right, it was listen, a hallucination. AMC apologists, listen to me. How is it better? to put him in a totally nondescript tiny bit of the preview for next week than leave you with him in the last seconds of this show. No, I agree with you there. How, how, is it be- how is it a better teaser in the preview that half the people don't watch for a split second in a part that we know might not even be in the show than end with a shot of Merle or a quick something at the end of this show? How is that better? No, you're, you're, I can't argue that. Cause if they could. I mean, again, it could be a fever dream. It could be a hallucination or a flashback, and it wouldn't make sense to end an episode that way. They could have Merle without having Merle. They could have shown you go back to the house, which meant nothing, and show writing on the wall that Daryl saw, but we didn't know, that said, you know, Merle was here, or something more, <laughs> something more witty than that, to tell everybody that it was Merle. Something in the show rather than a four second, four second. It was probably a second and a half clip of his face in a preview that half the people don't watch anyway. I'm done. Anybody else? Maybe, maybe Daryl took some of um, Merle's uh, Walter White blue crystal meth from yes. the episode <laughs> a few back, and that's what's going on. 
Jordan they've, been Kate, e- they've been eating at Los Pollos Hermanos. Exactly. <laughs> now that we've gotten all the uh, spoilers and venom out, can you give us the official word on the uh, you know the episode name and the synopsis and things? Sure. The episode is called Chupacabra, which is a uh, kind of like a Mexican goat yeti, sucker. If you will. It's a goat sucker. It's a goat sucker. It's a vampire, a vampiric creature of Mexico. Yeah, it's it's a it's a fake animal that lives in the. In Mexico, another X Files reference. Uh, what was that, John? It could be an X Files reference, which we missed one last week with the Morley cigarettes, which is also an X Files thing, and, and many the, other shows as well. But the, the chupacabra, especially down in the southern part of Texas, is a big is a big deal because it gets a lot of play because people constantly claim to have seen a chupacabra, or um, especially along the border. Yeah, we have the Jersey Devil up here. I mean, I assume every locale has something like that. But oh, well, the episode we've got, pretty, we've got pretty conclusive video evidence that the chupacabra is real. Sure you do. <laughs> the details for the episode are concerned for their safety. The group makes a plan, one that Herschel disagrees with adamantly. He makes it clear that the group is fine to stay for now, but not indefinitely. Chupacabra. Good night. When I'm going to the movies, I take up seven rooms because I'm fat, fat, I'm fat. What's the name of this show? 43. Cherokee Rose. Cherokee Rose. Not to be confused with Yankee Rose by David Lee Roth. Oh, talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Put that in the blooper. Stating that the weapon fired in the episode was by Glenn. Uh, or rather by Maggie. <laughs> <laughs> well, who knows who fired first? On <laughs> <laughs> shot first. And... We will edit that out and possibly put it in the bloopers. The bloopers? <laughs> the bloop. These bleeds? <laughs> We're going to have like a 20-minute show and an hour and a half blooper reel. <laughs> I love those bleepers. <laughs> where, where the hell were we? Going to town. In and out. Going right. to town. Get in and Not get a, out. Yeah. Not a euphemism. <laughs> Definitely a euphemism.